Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. Yes, Keith, good reminder, today is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice. Let's be, be glad in it. Hey, Charlotte, good morning. This is March 1st. You know what that means? Well, it means for uh, for you poor souls who were born on a leap year, <laughs> happy birthday to you. Uh, it's the first day of March of 2023, the year of our Lord. He's been reigning for 2,023 years and two months, and today he begins his third month of reigning in the year 2023. That's right. Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne, ruling over heaven and earth, crushing his enemies, building his kingdom. He's doing stuff, man. He's taking care of his people. He's working all things together for our good. If you are part of the body of Christ, all things he's working together for our good. He is alive and well, and he's not sitting around thumbing through Twitter. He is actively exercising his authority over the nations of the earth, the individuals of the earth. He's our king good day. Take heart. Be of good courage. Rejoice and be glad in this day the Lord Jesus has made. Amen. I'm going to taste and see the Lord is good by taking another sip of coffee. All right. So as we uh, continue through the book of Hebrews or the letter of Hebrews, uh, today we enter into a section that uh, has some challenges to understand. And Really, I suppose that's true for the entire uh, letter of Hebrews. Uh, There's a lot of rich truth here, but trying to see how it fits into the argument uh, takes some work. And so uh, what I want to do is before we dive into the specific phrases and concepts that the writer uh, reveals and teaches, let's see if we can get a handle on what the greater point is that he's trying to make. So he's been comparing Jesus to angels. And he does this so much, chapter 1, and we're going to see it again here in chapter 2, he does this so much that it's caused some scholars to assume that his audience had a preoccupation with angels. And that Jesus is trying, or that uh, the writer of Hebrews is trying to dissuade these uh, Christians from this preoccupation with angels and focus on Christ. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think the emphasis on angels must be that the Jews were making such a big deal about the law being delivered by angels that they were using that as, as, a, as a hammer to, to crush this concept of, of Jesus and say, no, look, we have the law of Moses. We have the old covenant. Well, we call it the old covenant. They wouldn't have called it the old covenant. We have the covenant God made with us. And this law that includes the temple worship and the priesthood and the sacrifices and so on, this law was not only given by God to Moses, 
but it was even delivered by angels. It was ordained by angels. The angels, these, these powerful spiritual beings brought this law to us. And you Christians believe in a dead Messiah. That's what I think is going on here. Let me, let me see if I can show this to you. Uh, admittedly, I'm having to draw out, sort of read behind uh, the, the, the scenes a little bit because like everything else in, this, in the New Testament, we're listening to one end of a phone conversation. We don't know all the details of what was going on. And as I told you when we first started this study, we know very little, well, we know nothing about the original audience outside of what we can deduce from the text. So here's, here's my working theory and, and see if I can persuade you or if you have an alternative view, I'd love to hear it. I think what's happening is the writer is trying to basically communicate to the Christians, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, and yes, he had to die. But that is appropriate, that is fitting. That's what the scripture foretold, and it was necessary. And the reason he would be communicating this to those Christians is because they've got these Jews coming and saying, what kind of Messiah is he if God lets him die? Remember from the Jewish perspective, the Messiah was going to come and sit on the throne of David and reign and rule and be, be glorious. He's, go, he's going to raise up an army and go down there to Rome and crush Caesar and bring the Jewish kingdom to dominance and prominence throughout the world. That's, that was their expectation. All right, y'all are saying that my audio is breaking up. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, there's nothing I can do about that. That would be a that would be a YouTube thing um, that happens. Let me know if it gets better. But uh, I'm gonna keep going because um, yeah, there's nothing nothing I can do about it on my end. That's not uh, that's not something uh, here. Lon says it's back now. Good. All right. So uh, in case that got all garbled in the audio struggle. I think the Jews were saying to the Christians, you believe in this Jesus guy, but he, he died. Do you really think God would send the Messiah and then let him die? No, of course not. Messiah is going to rule and reign. He's not going to die. So Jesus obviously is not the Messiah. I think that's what's going on here. So let me, let me pull out a few verses to kind of walk you through this. So, so the law was delivered by angels, these powerful creatures. Well, the writer here says, Jesus, speaking of him, you know, we look back here at Psalm 8 already yesterday and the day before, we see him who is made for a little while lower than the angels. So he's admitting, yes, yes, for a while, for a time, Jesus was lower than the angels. But he didn't stay lower than the angels. Remember, the writer has already established he is seated at the right hand of the Father where he is reigning and ruling. But yes, he did 
um, he, he did take on a lower status, even than angels. So yeah, the law was given through angels, and Jesus was lower than the angels for a bit. But here's why. It was, it was fitting, as he's going to say here in verse 10. God crowned him with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So he was made lower than the angels, but because of his going to the cross, God then put a crown of glory on his head. So now he is superior to the angels. Well, why did he do that? Why would he go to the cross? Why would he die? Why would God let the Messiah die? So that he might taste death for everyone. We'll come back and, uh, and talk about tasting death here, but that, that we people, humans, needed Jesus to drink death. I think that's what he's setting up here. Yes, it seems odd, especially for a Jewish mind, to think of the Messiah dying. So we, we as Christians, um, and this is central to everything we believe, so this is not strange for us, but if, a, if you put yourself in the mind of a Jew, try to get a sense of just how, how um, inconsistent, how inappropriate that idea would seem. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus? Remember, Jesus died, and then he comes back to life, and he appears to those disciples, but he doesn't reveal himself to them. What was their posture? What was their mindset? They were distraught. Remember that? They're walking along, and they're talking, and Jesus shows up and says, what are you talking about? And, and they said, what do you mean, what are we talking about? Don't you know what all the news is? Don't you know what everyone is talking about? There was this guy, Jesus, see? And we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the, the son of David who was going to sit on the throne of David. We thought he was going to be placed as, as king and, and lead us into victory. We, we really had high hopes for him because he was doing all these amazing things. But he's dead. And now they're sad because... The Messiah is not going to die. You remember, Jesus was harsh with them. You slow of heart to believe everything written. It's there in the scripture. And then he goes on and, and addresses the 11 apostles and the others who are around. And he says, look, this is all over the Old Testament. Psalms, uh, the law, the prophets. They all declared that the Messiah had to suffer. If you read through Isaiah 53, that's the whole point. But remember how Isaiah 53 begins? Who has believed our report? Nobody. Nobody, nobody believed it. The Messiah is not going to die. The Messiah is going to reign and rule. He's a king. So that's the mindset of the Jew. They, they ignored Isaiah 53. They, they dismissed it. That's not, the Messiah is not going to die. So the writer of Hebrews, I think, is trying to give some ammo, if you will, 
for these Christians to fight back against the Jews who are saying, look, our law was delivered by angels. And you all are believing in a dead Messiah. I think that's what's going on. Admittedly, this is not spelled out precisely in the text. So that's, you know, I always want to be careful with that, but I'm trying to, trying to read this and say, what, why is this writer choosing to say these things? Does that make sense? Curious, just a thumbs up or something if, if you're kind of tracking with me. So if that's what's going on, then he's explaining, yes, Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. Because he suffered death, God then crowned him, but it was, he had to taste death. He had to drink this death for everyone, for it was fitting for him. See, I think that word is chosen on purpose. This is not inappropriate for the Messiah to die. It was fitting. Well, what do you mean? Well, it was fitting for God, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Yes, it seems odd, but it really was fitting because God is bringing sons to glory. So again, you see he's tying all this back here. Psalm 8, you've crowned man with, uh, with glory and honor. Jesus was crowned with glory and honor, but only after suffering death. It was fitting for God to do this because God is bringing us to glory. He's bringing many sons to glory. And how is it that he's going to bring us to glory? We first have to die. Right? That's, that's our destiny. That's, we know that's coming. All of us are going to die. So it's fitting for God to bring us to glory through suffering, it's fitting then for him to bring our forerunner, our, as he says here, author, the author of our salvation, it's, it's fitting for him to bring him to glory through suffering as well. This word perfect, uh, maybe you've heard me teach on this before. Uh, I really wish the, the translators would translate this a little differently everywhere in the New Testament. Um, it, it's from the uh, telos family of words. Do any of you know, or have you heard me teach on this enough to know the Greek word telos, what it, uh, what, what the, the noun telos means? Anybody remember? Uh, if, if you've taken any of my classes in the New Covenant School of Theology or taken Greek with me, <laughs> you know, I make a big deal of this word because it's so important. Uh, Tetelestai uh, is, is the word that, uh, that maybe you're most uh, familiar with. Uh, if you've heard someone describe Jesus crying out, and oink, oink, that may be what you're describing there. It is finished, right? Yeah, Tim, Tim got it. It means goal. Telos is the goal. Sometimes it's translated end, but it doesn't simply mean something is finished and completed, but it means it's finished and completed because the goal has been achieved. So oink, oink, you're right. It means finished. It has that connotation, but it's not simply something ending. 
uh, in football, that is American football, uh, the area at both extremes of the field is called the end zone. And when you get the ball across the end against the line to get in the end zone, then your drive is ended, right? But it's not just done. Your drive is also ended if you have to punt. What's that line called at the beginning of the end zone? It's the goal line because the goal is to get the ball across that line and you get points. So you see how it's not quite the same thing as merely ending, but it has a sense of reaching the goal. So all of the words that come from telos that have that attached to it are talking about achieving the goal, the, the intended end. So here he says, it's appropriate for God, for whom are all things, through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of the salvation. And the, the emphasis is on to accomplish the goal, to accomplish the mission. It is appropriate that Jesus, who is the author of our salvation, would reach the goal through suffering. Because that's what's going to happen to all of those sons of glory. See that? So that's the argument he's building. It, it, why do we have a dead Messiah in Christianity? Well, obviously, we would argue he's not dead. He did die, but he's, he's not still dead. But why would God allow the Messiah to die? Because all of his children who are going to reach the, the goal, the destination, are also going to reach that destination through suffering. So it's appropriate, it's fitting for our author to also suffer before he reaches glory. He goes on, for he who sanctifies, that's God, and those who, I'm sorry, that's Jesus, isn't it? And those who are sanctified, that's us, are all from one. Now, the uh, NAS here puts the word father as though the argument is Jesus, the one who sanctifies, and those who are being sanctified, us, are all from one father. I don't think that's the point. The, uh, the, the Greek doesn't have the word father here. I think it's one nature. Because look, he says, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. We'll, we'll come back to this in, uh, in, in the next day or two, but uh, just let me not lose the, the bigger point here in, in the details. So I think he's continuing to explain why Jesus had to die and join us in the human race which included death. I think that's the point he's making. And then he quotes here from Psalm 22, and we will come back and look at this. I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So the scripture itself, speaking of the Messiah, said the Messiah was going to be a brother to the rest of the congregation. So 
the writer here is saying, not only is this fitting, but it was predicted. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. He, he was not ashamed to become one of us, to become human, to join us in the human race. He's from the same nature as we are, humans. And that was predicted. He's going to call us brother and he's going to proclaim God's name to the brothers. That's us. And again, he says in Isaiah 8, and this is fascinating, and we'll go back and look at that and see how Isaiah 8 is talking about Jesus. But he says, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. So the Messiah has children and brothers, different ways of describing him being of the same nature as we are. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. So this was predicted that Jesus would become a human, identify with us, or I should say the Messiah would be human, would become human and identify with us and suffer. That through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death. Again, I know for, for some of you who've never wrestled through this or it's been a while, uh, you may be getting lost in the mud. We're going to come back and slowly walk through this because there's some important things being said here, but I'm trying to put this in the broader framework. I think he's defending the need for, for the Messiah to die, the biblical warrant for believing that the Messiah would die. So quoting from Psalm 22 and Isaiah 8 is giving biblical warrant, but he's also explaining why this was necessary. He had to become like his children or his brothers, meaning he had to become human, and he had to experience death so he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That's the devil. What does that mean? Right? Don't answer it here, but think about it. We'll come back to this. But in what way does the devil have the power of death? And how is it that Jesus becoming human is able to render the devil powerless with respect to death? And then he kind of explains this further. And that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slaveries all their lives. So something about the Messiah coming to earth as a human and suffering, dying, he is able to free people from the fear of death and from slavery. I see that... Uh, Tam, oh, I'm sorry if that, I, I don't have my glasses, I can't say what that says. Tam D? Uh, yes, uh, he rendered power because he rose from the dead. Yes. How does that work? That's one of the things we're going to look at as we walk through this. What, what's he actually saying? So, I, yes, absolutely, it's the resurrection in view here, but what, what's he getting at here? And then he comes back to angels here. For assuredly, he does not 
give help to angels. And this, uh, this word does not really give help, it's take hold of. He does not take hold of angels. The Messiah did not come in the nature of angels. But he came in the nature, he took on the seed of Abraham. Now suddenly he's introducing Abraham to this whole discussion. Why? Well, we'll come back and look at it. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren. He had to be made like us, the many sons who he's taking to glory. He had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So he is piling on rationale after rationale of why the Messiah had to become human and to die. So again, we will look at all of these in more detail, but I want you to see the broader framework. Uh, I skipped over Lon. Lon says, in his suffering here, is his suffering here different from his suffering and death for our sins? Uh, no. No, but it's all part of one, one package, I believe. Um, so the point is, and, and let me go back where I started. And again, I know, I know this, is, this may be a little thick, but I, but I want to see the argument before we get lost in the details of the argument. I think the Jews are making such a big deal of the law being given by angels and you Christians have a dead Messiah. And the author here is saying, no, here are all the things. First of all, the scripture predicted this, the the Messiah would die and he had to die. He had to become human and it's fitting that he became human so that just as we are going to go through death before we get to glory, he led the way by going through death to get to glory. And it culminates in this idea of him being our propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins, which he could not do without dying. So I think that's where it's going. Uh, think about it, ponder that, and, and read through chapter 2 with that in mind, and then we will come back and begin to uh, put all the specific arguments and the predictions in the, from the Old Testament in its place in that framework. I hope that was worth your time. Hope it was, hope that wasn't too muddy for you, uh, but, I, but it's important to keep things in their context and see the flow of the argument. All right, that's all we have time for today. Have a great one, and Lord willing, we'll see you back here tomorrow. God bless.